0: contradiction Hmm. i grew up in the caribbean and i've recently and i've revisited the caribbean where color is a joy where it's it sings from the houses and the shacks and the landscape and it's not no one's afraid of it um it's used to uplift and to make very simple quite basic living standards maybe um much more vibrant and, and uplifting and joyous. Mm. Um, the climate helps, of course. Now, I also have this British side, where palettes are much more muted and subtle. And and we, li- you know, I'm looking at the window now, and it's pretty grey. But there are some beautiful, beautiful soft greens and greys out there, which I also love.
1: I'm Bob Acton, and I'm pleased to share with you a conversation with Sue Jameson a sculptor based in the UK. Her work on people and their stories is the focus of her explorations using hand-built ceramics. Both her expressionist figurative forms and her surface decorations are just amazing. And she and I have a conversation about color, surface design, form, and the need to listen to your heart. If you want to follow her, you'll see links to her website and Instagram accounts in the show notes.
0: Welcome to Color and Ceramics, the podcast for ceramic artists who want valuable ideas about using color from leading artists and world-class experts. Here's your host, Bob Acton, a sculptor and ceramic artist who's fascinated with color and how potters, sculptors, and artists use color in their work. Tune in as he talks with his guests about color, techniques, and the impact of color on people and art itself.
1: Sue, welcome to the Color and Ceramics podcast to talk about color and surface decoration. I, I just, I'm a very excited about you being here because I love your work, and uh, you make beautiful, wonderful sculptures and use brilliant colors and uh, gorgeous surface design and and so welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you, Bob. What lovely introduction, <laughs> and um, I. I am an interesting one when it comes to colour, because I think colour is um, something I fight with in the rest of my life. But in ceramics, I really enjoy uh, playing with it and having fun with it. Um, I'm an awful interior designer. I'm an awful painter. Um, But when I come to making 3D pieces, I really enjoy that added um, bit of colour At the end, for me, some ceramicists I know put the color in to the clay, for example, or they might put the color um, in the process, but I build something. And then I have a huge amount of fun throwing color at it.
1: Nice. Excellent. Could you maybe start off a little bit by telling us about your journey, like a little bit about you and your work and what got you to here uh, in terms of your journey with clay
0: okay um, so i was born in trinidad and i spent my formative years in a very colorful vibrant um, culture and i then came back to england um, for my later schooling life and i went to university and then after university i decided i needed to go to art school so i did a postgraduate Uh, sculpture year which was when I learnt about the figure and modeling but I then worked um, mostly as a modeler and caster Um, so I had some time in London when I was working in a cooperative studio and there was a big group of us so we would all work together making quite large scale figurative pieces or stone carvings whatever it might have been and I then um would cast in bronze very occasionally, but mostly in um, cement fondue or plaster or resin. But I had a team around me to help me with that and um, I then moved into teaching and started teaching in universities and then into schools when I had my own family. And then when I decided that I wanted to return to my own practice, I didn't have this big group of artists around me in a community studio. I just had my little shed at the bottom of the garden. So I decided that ceramics might be an interesting new um, discipline to learn, uh, to keep me um, engaged and to turn me back into a learner, having been a teacher for many, many years. And um, also it was physically something I could manage on my own. Um, and it's proven to be both fascinating and challenging and frustrating in equal measure. Um, I know you're a new new ceramicist aren't you bob and you're you've been learning as well so although i was trained in clay i was never trained to keep the clay the clay was a byproduct it was a waste material so i've had to retrain my brain to really treasure the clay and treat it like a a close relative really (laughs) um nurture it and care for it and and hope that it it, um, behaves itself in the firings and the drying processes. And so it's been a massive learning curve, but I've really, really enjoyed the challenge. And um, yeah, I still believe I have a huge amount to learn. Um, I'm not a chemist either. So I find the whole um, glazing uh, chemical side of it, quite daunting. Uh, so I found a system that suits me, which is mostly using one or two clays, coloured slips, uh, firing high to stoneware, and um, and then maybe occasionally glazing.
1: It is complicated, isn't it? I've had my hand in other crafty kinds of things, particularly with wood, and I have found clay to be far more complex with the chemical uh, compositions that you're Mm -hmm. talking about, the interactions with heat and temperature and surfaces like it's amazingly complex you have to have a lot of patience
0: you do and I feel you also have to have quite an ordered mind which I do not (laughs) (laughs) so I approach my ceramics more like a piece of fine art um, intuitive work it's not often highly planned. It's um, I'm not very good at record keeping. So every piece is a one off. I can't reproduce anything, but I quite like that. I don't like, I, people have advised me in the profession to find a style and stick to it and, and get known for a certain type of work. And that's never really, I mean, I think it happens anyway, because you make what you make, and you are a certain person. But I, I find it difficult to repeat things.
1: Now, um, and now, I would find that a bit boring to make the same thing yes. over and over again. Is that true for you?
0: Yes, indeed. Yes. And every time I think I'm going to do something, it turns into something else. But that's what I love about the creative process is that you never quite know where it's going to go. And that's the thrill of it. And if I knew, if I was a little bit more scientific about it, then maybe I could produce really exquisitely delicate, um, finely formed pieces, but that's just not the person I am. So it wouldn't really be true to me. I'm much more of a, uh, I I, I treat the clay in quite a raw way. I, I keep it quite rough. Um, I'm now at the moment using crank clay because it's got a bit more grog in it and it allows me to be even more um, inventive with how I build my structures, Mm -hmm. trying to break the structures up a bit, Um, just keeping myself on my toes, never quite sure where I'm going. Is for me much more exciting than having a set plan.
1: Yeah, very cool. And so when you're talking about uh, sculptors needing to be a bit ordered, did you mean that you think that you've been advised in anyway, that sculptors should have a specific plan in place and keep records and all the things that you were talking about?
0: Not sculptors so much, but ceramicists. Yeah. So the, the ceramic process, the use of glazes, the use of chemicals to make those glazes, the use of oxides. If you keep really meticulous records, then you can almost repeat a favoured glaze or a favoured look or but I'll, I'll come across things will happen in the kiln and it'll be amazing and I'll love it or or it'll be a disaster and I'll hate it in which case I will rework something many times um, so it's not a commercially viable way of working <laughs> um, I might fire something five or six times in order to get it speaking to me But I don't know when it's going to speak to me. I don't have a set idea of, oh, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to... It's much more intuitive and much more, I do something, it speaks back to me, I don't like it, so I change it, it speaks back to me again. So it's a dialogue, um, quite a feisty dialogue at times. and sometimes the piece is finished. It's I, d- I don't like it. It'll sit on the shelf for a couple of years, and then I'll suddenly think I've fallen back in in like with it. Yeah, and I'll have another go, which I know is against all the rules. Um, you know, but I love that. I, I I don't I don't want to obey rules particularly.
1: Now you've said that before. What is it about falling in love with a piece that you made two years ago? Uh, against the rules
2: oh
0: the ceramic rules in that you're not supposed to refire things and add things on top and you know that that there are purists well this is my certainly what i've read there are purist ceramic principles that one is encouraged to follow when learning however i know that the ancient masters and uh, have always done things in in different ways and um that's how things evolve and change, right? That's how um, porcelain probably was invented was by somebody breaking a rule somewhere and finding a a different way to do something. So um, I think it's maybe comes from my quite traditional art school training when I wasn't a ceramicist at all. I wasn't um, learning these things. So ceramics is purely self-taught. But I did go to art school and I did learn to draw and I did learn to um, use clay to model the figure. Um, And I just enjoy um, not following some of the more specific things I was told. Having said that, I'm now contradicting myself terribly (laughs) because personally, I love abstract art, but every time I make clay, um, it comes out figurative. And I can't break that cycle.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, how we make how a How about piece. you, Bob? Um, well, it's interesting. I guess I've tried all sorts of different techniques and uh, different things, and what I'm finding I'm doing is now combining them. And, and I think, like you, I'm finding what works, and not so much about whether it follows a rule or not, about whether it works in the studio. And And I think for the sculptural work that I'm more focused on these days. And I, you certainly are. Um, We don't have to worry about uh, food safety and those kinds of things (laughs) that the functional folks. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you said you've gone to school and you're, you've now taken this intuitive approach to your, to your sculptures and you're self-taught on these things. How did you learn about colors and surface design? Because that's really a key part of, of your work.
0: That I think came from being a teacher for many, many years and just enjoying finding different ways to engage children, mostly for me, older children. So I mostly taught young adults and teenagers um, how to engage them and, and just to enjoy color and texture and design and find a way to express something how they're feeling or or what they think about something through this visual medium and as a teacher we I would play a lot Uh, I think play is hugely important and so that fueled many of my processes in terms of whether I scraffito something or whether I apply thick slips and then I pull it off and scrape it off again and that all very much comes from wasn't how I was taught at all but I think it was more how I taught in terms of keeping um, a piece of work alive by changing it constantly changing it and and reworking and I think the the color principles are emotionally driven Mm -hmm. so I'll choose colors for emotional reasons rather than all that goes with that so my color wheel is less formal than one you might see in an art book it's much more um what colors are speaking to me at that particular time in my life and that might be a result of a trip or something i see in nature or something i'm feeling on the inside
1: So t- tell us a bit more about that. That's a, like you've talked about your approach being quite intuitive and that that story of color sort of feels the same. How how does that play itself out in terms of, you know, what you might select when you're applying a, a slip to your piece? Why pink versus yellow as an example?
0: Well, it might be pink and yellow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, Okay, I think I'm a contradiction. Hmm. I grew up in the Caribbean, and I've recently, and I've revisited the Caribbean, where colour is a joy, where it's it sings from the houses and the shacks and the landscape, and it's not, no one's afraid of it. Um, it's used to uplift and to make very simple, quite basic living standards, maybe, um, much more vibrant and, and uplifting and joyous mm. um, the climate helps of course now i also have this british side where palettes are much more muted and subtle and and we li- you know i'm looking at the window now and it's pretty gray but there are some beautiful beautiful soft greens and grays out there which i also love so i think for many years that that palette was dominant and then I, for example, went back to the Caribbean, and these colours were just singing at me, and I thought I've got to, I've got to use those again and, and get re-engaged with my my younger self and and what I used to love about that. And then I just really enjoyed doing it. I really loved seeing um, these colours that sh- you know really shouldn't be sitting next to each other, having a lovely time doing so. And also, I think it's really important, and you'll know this well, is that when you're using the slips they don't look like they're gonna look when they're fired so it's all a little bit of a mystery game and and you do it in the hopes that you're going to get the zing that you're after but until you've fired the piece you don't quite know and which is why when I said before I might fire it a few times Mm -hmm. um because the zing isn't quite there or the the um I mean I love I'm a lover of subtlety as well so that there might be a real nuanced shift from grey to green um that isn't there and I just notch up the temperature a little bit Mm -hmm. and it'll start to come out or equally I might have gone too high so there's a lot there that I'm still discovering about colour and the red as you probably know is a really difficult thing to achieve in the ceramic world um so that is still a mission i i don't use a lot of red because it is so hard to get it it often comes out as a um as a rust or as a brown uh, but just that really bright red is very difficult certainly at stoneware i think you can get them at lower temperatures using earthenwares but i don't do that And why I don't do that, I'm not sure. I just kind of ended up in the stoneware world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I'm not sure why that came about. I think it was due to the clays that I was using Hmm. that needed to be fired pretty high. And I'm absolutely in love with this black clay that I use, uh, which does fire high.
1: How
0: high? well, um, I'm firing it at about twelve sixty, but it'll go up to
1: forty. There's a real sense of when I look at your piece uh, pieces that of this contrast, this kind of juxtaposition between the dark, rough clay and the smooth, uh, bright colors. Uh, I mean, personally, I like that. what What is it that you're trying to achieve with that? Uh, contrast in each piece?
2: That's
0: a good question. Um, I don't want to overly hide the surface. I don't want to dress the sculpture too much because I love the raw clay in itself and I find it very expressive just on its own. And many, many times I've thought, right, leave this one. Don't paint, don't slip this one. Um, And I do have pieces that are darker than others, but I just find that, I guess it's a type of, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to find the right words. Why do I do it? Um, What am I looking for in that contrast? I'm trying, well, all I can tell you is I'm trying to make work that evokes something in the viewer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not really making it to put on my own shelves and, and and look at for the rest of time. I have to get something out of me. What that is changes each time I walk in the studio. I need to get something out of me. I find that I can get it out of me by making ceramic sculptures. Okay. And I really hope that whatever I make has some impact on someone else one day somewhere in the world i'm not particularly aware who my audience is i just know that the way that i put my work out and it it goes one day someone finds it and it works for them um and that may take a day that may take a year but so the use of the color against that deep black clay is I suppose that that juxtaposition I was talking about earlier between um, something very muted in my thinking and something really quite crazy and wacky and and out there. And I'm a bit of a contradictory person maybe, and that comes out, but I really don't want the work to look too disjointed or too chaotic. I need it to work as a whole, and I'm not sure I'm there yet. That's what I keep working at. That's my challenge, is for the surface not to look like a surface, but for it to look part of the piece,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how now, it should be, that it belongs there.
1: Yeah, you said you use slips, and so I assume that you're using slips with stains in them to yeah. um, uh, get the colors you're after. Uh, do you ever uh, play around with underglazes at all?
0: I have. I find them a bit.
1: Um,
0: I don't find the the quality of the color quite as I would like. So they very much are underglazes for me. So they might sit four layers under mm-hmm. something. Very rarely will they they find their way to the surface. Um, I use a lot of oxides. Um, and that affects the slips in, in various ways, quite exciting ways. Um, but no, the coloured slips, I really like the way I can mix that almost like a palette. And I, I sort of almost mix them as I put them on sometimes. Yeah. Um, I find it a, a very much freer process. And the quality of the colour is good for me anyway yeah. I don't like shiny surfaces for some reason yeah, I but- love that matte that matte quality I almost want the, the color to look like it's coming out of the clay itself um, and maybe that's something I could investigate in the future and in, in actually putting the pigment in the clay I've seen I've seen people do that
1: yeah, that would I'm be a yet. challenge with the clay that you're using because it's it so—it's pretty dark, it right? Works. You'd get it's a maybe. It's very a, dark. Yeah, you'd get a muted kind of color. It maybe yeah. in in some ways, right?
0: Uh, I think the reason I like that dark clay is because it creates a depth to the underlying structure,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so if you're using lighter clays, I often find that the light just bounces off the top, whereas with this deep, deep clay, the light really, the the darkness is really dark and the the shadows that it creates are
1: intense. Mm-hmm. It really comes through the slips and the oxides as opposed to white clay, which is the opposite. It doesn't come through at all. And so you see more of the surface uh, with the white. Yes.
0: And I think that's, sorry, in a very roundabout way, I think we've got there, Bob, with your help. That I like the color, the, the clay to come through underneath the color and the color to be part of the clay rather than having a piece of clay that is painted over the top of. Yeah. I want the two materials to work together as if they're yeah. part of each other.
1: Now, how do, how do you think your choice of color influences the overall mood of the piece or, or the message? that you want to get across to your buyers?
0: I seem to go in waves. And when I've made a collection, and I tend to work in collections, so I'll work on maybe 10, 12 pieces at a time. They will have not a, totally replicated colour scheme, but they will have similarities of colour coming through them. And often, if I've had a a collection which is full of very clashing, bright, vibrant colours, my next kind of group of works can come from me in in a calmer way so they may be more muted palette or a more restricted palette the emotions are individual to each piece and i don't think the color alone does that i think there is a lot in the expressions that i try to create um, and those will change all the way through the making of the piece And so, again, a bit like when I was saying earlier about when something starts to speak to me, it's to do with the colors, but it's also very much to do with that expression. And the colors may actually work with that emotion or they may fight against it. But sometimes I quite like that fight because it's unexpected. Mm -hmm. You see this bright pink and orange piece of work and you expect it to be one thing but as you get closer and you start to engage with the the detail of it it turns into something very different Mm -hmm. and it kind of takes you on an emotional journey I don't want everything to be exactly what it looks like it's going to be Mm -hmm. from the off Um, but that is not intentional as I said it's just how it evolves in the making process because I change these things all
1: the time it's like you and the uh, piece uh, are having a dance together and uh in some ways we are, you, you yes. know uh, you put your left foot forward and they put their right foot back and you have to work together on on that piece and i i was going to ask you about balancing form with surface design because mm-hmm. i remember when i was taking my first ceramics classes Many many years ago, the my first teacher talked about form, and form was the answer for everything, and that was primary. Um, uh, and your forms are very um, unique, uh, figurative pieces that sort of, uh, in in some ways, make me think of soldiers. I don't know why I think that when I see your your latest pieces. Um, so how how do you th- how do you think about form? along with the color or the surface?
0: Okay, that's a great question. And it it provokes a little anxiety in me because I had a crit once, not so long ago, maybe two or three years ago, from what one would deem to be um, a highly regarded art academic, whose crit was that the form, and the, the form should dominate, the form should be for everything. And that the more and more you add to the surface, the less the form can speak. Um, and the crit, I guess, was I needed to reduce what I was doing to the surface in order for the form to come through.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And a little bit of me is still looking into that and thinking, Okay, yes, that's fair enough. And I might sometimes get right to the end of a piece and just pour a huge amount of oxide over it in order to just limit some areas from that busy Mm coloured surface. Mm -hmm. Um, But, however, I think that the form is quite simple in most of my pieces. And... I'm not trying to make um, a highly intricate detailed sculpture. And so therefore the surface textures and the things I scratch into it and the things I write into it can all be discovered on closer inspection. I, I hope that you kind of meet the piece several times. You meet it from afar and then as you, you, you meet you meet it physically closer but also as you get to know it and you live with it you you meet it closer still um however as a as a sculpture my original training was as a sculptor i would agree that the form needs to be the dominant um aesthetic and i guess that's my challenge i'm, I'm still working on that i'm still learning about how much i want to let the joy and fun i have with the color and the surface and patterns and um how much i want that to disappear in order for this form to come through and actually the pieces i'm working on at the moment the form is much more uh broken up uh, so it is more complicated and it may be that as a result of that i have to let the cut the overall color and surface treatment of the piece um, be much more pared back.
2: Because mm. I think if
0: I've got all of it going on, then that might be too much. But I will see. I will try it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. very. Did good. I answer your
0: question? Yes, I think I'm so. Not sure I did.
1: I think so. I mean, I think I hear you saying that your piece is really big. Uh, some inspection in some ways, so you can see them the form from afar, and of course the colors catch your eye. But but also. Um, uh, people need to get up close and they need to see the little pieces that you put in there, the little writings. And and in some ways, I feel like you want to come over and touch them because really they beg to be touched in lots of ways, don't they?
0: Yes, I love for work to be touched. I would hate to have um, that preciousness. Um, one can often associate with a ceramic piece because it is it is a breakable material, it's not like a bronze, um, but I would love to be making work that people feel confident to touch and pick up and handle. Um, and in, in, in many ways, the, the things I love about pieces of work that I look at and respond to in, from others, that other people are making, is when I have to look again and again and again, and each time I find a little extra something behind. So the the endless layering of colors and patterns and whatever it might be that is interesting me in, in that particular collection, uh, and it may be lost under under a final coat of something, but I know it's there,
2: yeah.
0: and I hope that somehow the viewer will know it's there. Sorry, Bob, I've gone really dark, haven't I?
2: It's okay, it's um, all right.
0: Um, so I really hope that the um, even the things that can't be seen are still coming through in some way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know The
0: underpainting.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's like even some little secrets in there sometimes that you might put in that... You, they get covered up that you know are there, that nobody else is there, and it brings you a little pleasure seeing that piece and knowing that it's in that sculpture. Uh, and somebody might catch it uh, in a bit of a surprise or maybe not even quite understand the the meaning of it in some ways.
0: Yes, and I think often when I work with galleries, um, which I tend to do rather than selling directly, because I'm not a very good salesperson. (laughs) But um, the the gallery always wants to know quite a lot about the piece. And obviously titles are very um, powerful things in how much you you say, how much you don't say. I've always been very fascinated, sometimes very frustrated, when you walk up to this amazing piece of work and it's untitled. Um, And it's leaving all the work to you. Uh, so I do love to give a little clue. I, I influenced a lot by poetry and what, like we were discussing earlier, the, the heard word, audio, plays, stories, things that I might be listening to. And so sometimes the title might be suggested. But also I like the idea that the title might be in the piece itself because a piece of sculpture doesn't hang on a wall with a nice little notice next to it. It has to stand on its own, so often the title is in there somewhere, it's written in there, scratched in there, um, which I quite like, even if it's un- invisible by the end, it's, it's in there somewhere.
1: Very cool. You know, you've got some great ideas here and I think our audience will be really fascinated with your uh, approach to things. And, and I'm sitting here reflecting on the fact that you've been a teacher for many years, and so have you got any advice for a, a budding ceramic artist or maybe uh, or maybe a sculptor who's changing their approach or like, what advice would you have them about developing their own unique style? Make what you make.
0: Don't worry about what everyone else is making. Try not to look too much out, look in because you will never create uniqueness. You will only stumble across it. Because if you try and do it, if you try and be unique, you won't be. But if it just comes from a very honest, genuine place where you are just making what you make, that will be unique because it is coming from yourself and you are an individual person. Um, I see so much out there that seems to be trying to emulate a particular wave or style or type of work, um, whether that be to do with fashion or to do with um, popularity. You're never you're never going to. Well, this is just my my thinking. You're never going to grab, find that, catch that if you force it, it it has to just happen from your own um, personal motivation and direction. And if people don't like it, they don't like it, it really doesn't matter. If you, if it's speaking to you and you feel you have something relevant to say, then someone else out there, one day somewhere will, will get it. And that, as I said before, that may take a day, it may take a year, it may take 10 years um however (laughs) this viewpoint doesn't necessarily give you a strong commercial basis for for your work so I wouldn't say that I'm great on that at all I do sell my work it gives me great pleasure to find people who want to find a place for it in their world Uh, but the reason I make it is not that The reason I make it is because I have to make it for whatever reason that might be. Um, And if there are long spells where I don't make, I feel really quite extraordinarily strange, Um, but I keep returning to making it. So there must be something there that is is happening for me in the process. And if someone else can share in that and, and get something from it, then that gives me huge pleasure. So my advice to anyone wanting to change or learn is to oh, try not to be too afraid, try not to worry about mistakes or getting things wrong, and try not to make work that you see other people making, because you'll only ever be a, a lesser version of them. You have to be the best version of yourself.
1: There's a there's an element, I think, it's certainly been true for me as I've learned to let go of worrying about whether somebody will like it or not, or whether somebody will buy it or not, um, has been a sense of introspection and to be able to um, be aware of those, that little voice in me <laughs> around what what it is that I'm liking and to honor that, I guess. Um, it, does that fit for what you're talking about?
0: Absolutely. You have to trust your, yourself. You have to trust your own inner voice that you refer to then and, Critics will like it or loathe it, but that's their perception. Um, If you're worried about critique, you're in the wrong game. (laughs) Uh, I think it can be very hurtful and harsh, but you're always gonna learn from it. And that's just gonna make your work stronger, whether it be because you reject the critique or you, You think, oh, actually, I could learn something from this. So, humility is very important as well, I think, when you're learning a craft. Always feel like you have more to learn. Never feel like you've got there. Um, If you've got there, then why make any more? The whole reason we just keep making and making and making is because we're still trying to work it out. And so, the day you feel you've worked it all out is probably when you, you need to move on to something else because... It's that hunger and that desire Mm. for learning that keeps the work fresh and alive and relevant. On a bad day, Bob, I will admit, I think, what am I doing? I'm just making more landfill for the world. (laughs) (laughs) Then I have to give myself a little bit of space and time. And I then realize that, oh, I, I have got something I want to say. I just happen to have chosen this form to say it in yeah Um, and that has relevance and i need to have confidence that i am entitled to say it whatever it may be and even if it's only for myself i still have that human gift of being able to communicate in so many different ways whether it be a written piece of work, or a three-dimensional piece of work. I don't know. Um, I just don't have another way I can say it. Yeah. So I do have to do this. I don't really feel there's a choice.
1: And really, there are some people who will love your work, and lots of people who will not, right? And Absolutely. And, and it's about finding a way to connect with people who love it, and uh listen to i was at a show recently and um within minutes i had a couple of people walk by one young woman stood in the hallway at this big art show and pointed at one of my pieces and said oh that's nightmare food and um, uh, and uh, I I kind of laughed at that, right? But it was interesting because mm-hmm. it produced a, an emotional reaction in her, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. And minutes later, somebody else came by, looked at the same piece, and went, "Oh my God, I just love this!" So it's really interesting to see how people respond to our work, um, and for us to not get, but to listen to it, but not get too wrapped up in it. Uh, because then all we end up doing is trying to please somebody else.
0: Yes, and that's no way to be. I think the the uh, contradiction or the, the difficult thing I'm now going to say is that even though we're having a conversation um, about this very subject and that this is for other people's interest, And I'd be delighted if other people are interested, quite understand if they're not, but delighted if they are. However, my advice would be try not to look out. I did say this before, look out too much because I think the world we live in at the moment is so full of um, visual information, what everybody else is doing, what everyone else is making. And although that can be just an amazing resource, phenomenal to find out what, for example, how would I ever have known what you were doing all that way over on the other side of the world? So that side of it is fabulous, but don't let it make you feel overwhelmed by what everyone else is doing and that you need to do that too. You just need to do what you do. And I, I keep having to remind myself of this because as your experience shows, people are going to walk past and love it and then another person's going to walk past and hate it. Yeah. Um and that's absolutely fine by me. I just have to make what I have to make. And if anyone else is interested then that's a bonus. That's
1: that's really great advice to to really end our conversation on Sue. I I think I hope that people will have found our conversation to be interesting and learn some technical things like slips and oxides and so on that they might then begin to apply to their work if that interests them. But really, at the same time, you really have to honour yourself and your own uh, emotional space inside about what it is that you want to do. So thanks so much for being with us here today, Sue. I really appreciate you spending your uh, time here today having this conversation.
0: Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Bob. It's been a pleasure to finally see you and have a chat with you um keep working and um i look forward to seeing all the new things you're going to make next year um thank you so much for having me
1: you're most welcome
0: thanks for listening to the color and ceramics podcast with bob acton and his guests Please help others find the podcast by subscribing to this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, such as iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, or other podcatchers. And don't forget to give us a review. We'll see you next time.